we continue, as um, Russell said, we continue in, in Ecclesiastes. We're looking at some of the harder questions of life. The author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, says, is life just hebel? Is life just a vapor? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. It's here and then it's gone. The uh, author of Ecclesiastes looks uh, primarily at the world uh, under the sun, which means he looks at the world uh, putting humanity at the center and taking God out of the equation. What does life look here uh, if there isn't a bigger picture? If if there isn't a God, what kind of uh, lives should we uh, lead? Uh, What should we look for as far as fulfillment? Joy, happiness, that sort of thing. And quite frankly, the, the end result is relatively bleak. Uh, he comes to the conclusion throughout the book on several different occasions uh, that uh, life is meaningless uh, if there isn't a bigger picture, so to speak. And we're going to continue on with that this morning. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and then chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I will warn you before we get going this morning that this is a tough topic. This is a tough topic in our culture. This is a tough topic uh, for us as Christians within the church, as well as the larger uh, national community uh, for us in particular, but I would also say for the global community. And the temptation will be, I believe, because I've been wrestling with this temptation uh, all uh, last couple weeks as I've been studying for this passage, is to see uh, the other person as the evil person. To see the, uh, that, 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 that Solomon is talking about somebody that's pretty bad, and thank goodness that I'm not part of that equation. Uh, so uh, before we begin our preaching time this morning, uh, and I go to our prayer time, I'm going to just have a moment of silent prayer. Uh, and my encouragement for you is to pray that the Lord would let you see yourself uh, in this passage and teach you what he wants you to know. So I'm reading a book by a guy named David Gibson. It's called Living Life Backward. And he interacts with uh, the message of Ecclesiastes. And he's talking about, I'm going to read a paragraph for you this morning. He's talking about uh, our hesitation to look at the really, really difficult issues uh, that face us either individually or corporately. Uh, And he points to uh, a show that used to be uh, live on TV a few years ago. I don't think they're doing it presently because one of the folks that put it on has passed away. But Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg and uh, it wasn't Jerry Seinfeld, it was um, Billy Crystal was the third one. They did a program called Comic Relief. And they did it once a year. And the goal was for the three of them and a bunch of other entertainers to come together for an evening to do a show and then to take those proceeds and to give them to different causes that would help the poor, the oppressed, uh, that would work against injustice, not just in the United States, but around the world. And, and that's a good thing. And, and he's not taking issue with that. He's asking the question, why is it so hard for us? Why, why do we kind of need comedy uh, to help us when we're talking about such a difficult situation. And he says this, Ecclesiastes knows how we will feel if we stare long enough and hard enough at the way the world really is. We are simply not used to doing this. We cope with it through distraction. We have, and now he talks about the show, we have comedy relief so that we can stop the image of hunger and poverty and deprivation from being relentless and unbearable. Would we really be able to cope with it if the terrible images weren't followed by light-hearted diversion? We pay money for laughter so that we can help the suffering, but do not have to look at it for too long. 
But if there really wasn't anywhere to avert our eyes, maybe we would find ourselves thinking it's a blessing to have no idea what evil is in the first place. Perhaps we would count the unborn among the most fortunate people in the world. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, hear the word of God. The preacher writes, Moreover, or on top of all of this, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And in chapter 4, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, that they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, it's easy for us to agree that there is evil under the sun. It is easy for us to point out wickedness that uh, is around us. It's quite another thing to look at our own hearts and to ask the question, is there wickedness there? Could I be a person who struggles with evil intent? Lord, we would rather see ourselves apart and aloof looking down on this passage or into this passage from a place of uh, holiness and goodness, uh, but that simply wouldn't be very real. So Lord, I pray that you would help us now. Hear our prayers as we ask you to speak to us. Father, we give you thanks for your word, uh, even the challenging aspects of it. Again, Father, we ask that you would teach us. Lord, I pray that I wouldn't be a hindrance to what you want us to understand this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The harsh realities of injustice and oppression cannot be ignored by Jesus' disciples. That's what we want to talk about this morning because that's where I believe the author of Ecclesiastes is taking us. Uh, when you think about injustice and when you think about oppression, what images come to your mind? What thoughts go through your head? We're going to look at this passage and hopefully do so in an honest way, uh, in a way that allows us to use it as a mirror into our own souls. I have uh, five observations about this text that I hope will help us uh, wrestle with this topic. The first is I believe that, that Solomon wants us to understand and appreciate the human conditions. He says in verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun, so he's talking about humanity on humanity, people's relationships with one another, apart from a relationship with God, even in the place, or I looked under the sun, that in the place of justice, even there 
was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now, Solomon is writing roughly 900, 940 years before Jesus has come to earth. So this is about 3,000 years ago, and Solomon is looking at injustice, and he's looking at uh, oppression. So all that to say, this is not something new in our day and age, and quite frankly, it wasn't new in Solomon's age either. If you go back and you read the very first book of the Bible, if you go back and you read Genesis, or if you have read Genesis, you know that from the very origins of of humanity, shortly after we sinned against God and we were removed from the garden, you begin to read the unfolding story of human history, and immediately you are faced with things like human trafficking. You are faced with enslavement of people using their power to abuse others. You immediately come face to face with injustice in the world. So lest we think this is our problem in our day and age, we we are inheriting something that's been going on for a long, long time. And in Solomon's age, it had been going on for a long, long time. This is part of the human condition when we're in a broken relationship with God. And not to, to just say there, there, there's no hope, although Solomon wrestles with that question, uh, the important thing is for us to understand is that we are part of humanity, that, that the brokenness that impacts the world impacts my life. Beyond that, in the fourth chapter, I think the author is reminding us that, that not only is this nothing new, but it's not going away anytime soon. He looks at the people that are struggling from oppression. And notice what he says two times. There was no one to comfort them. Their oppressors had all the power, and there was no one to comfort them. Solomon's looking at the scenario, and he's saying, there's no immediate relief in sight. This is not a simple question that has a simple answer. This is a profound impact that affects all of us, and it's not new, nor is it going away anytime soon. Secondly, in this text, Solomon begins to speak very specifically about systematic injustice. Let's go back to verse 16, for, uh, verse 16 in, in uh, chapter 3. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. Solomon is not writing about a casual injustice that he's observed kind of generically out there in the lives of the people around him. He's not talking about something that's haphazard. He's not speaking about something that is unintentional. The word wickedness in Scripture, even there there was wickedness. The word wickedness in Scripture speaks to a mindset and to a practice. If there's wickedness in my life, it's it's part of how I think, but it's also how I choose to live my life. So what is Solomon saying here? He's saying, I'm not looking at people making mistakes. I am looking at evil as part of the system. And he's talking about the place of justice. What is he speaking about there? He's speaking about a court of law. Solomon is looking at the legal system in the nation of Israel. And he's saying that there is wickedness. There is unfairness. So if, I, if, if you still had your pencil hand, I said, okay, everybody take a minute and write down what wickedness would look like in a court of law, we would probably hear things like bribery. We would probably hear things like unfair representation. We would probably hear things like, you know, if you've got a lot of money and you can hire the best lawyer, you can, you can get away 
with pretty much anything you want to. I, I think these are common threads in our culture today. And Solomon looks at the legal system, the place where everybody ought to be safe, where everybody ought to get a fair shake. And he says, even there, there's wickedness. I want to share with you a quote from a recent uh, conversation, a a recent article, Uh, Brian Stevenson was being interviewed. Brian Stevenson is one of the foremost thinkers and movers in our country today when it comes to this question of injustice. And if you ask me, Tom, should should I read something of Brian Stevenson? I would say yes. And if you said what, I would say yes. Anything you can get your hands on that Brian Stevenson has written, you should read. I'm not saying you'll agree with everything he says, but he calls in a very kind way, kinder than I can imagine folks being, (laughs) he calls us out and he challenges our way of thinking. He challenges our way of thinking that says that that problem is very real, but it's over there with those folks. It's, It's not on me. And he's talking about in this interview, he's talking about the notion of institutional injustice. He's talking about the fact that this isn't haphazard. It doesn't happen kind of outside, but it happens among our communities. And here's what he writes. Black people were typically lynched in communities where there was a functioning criminal justice system. Black people were lynched for things like walking too close to a white woman, for asking for better wages, or for preaching equality. So when we talk about racial terror lynchings, we're talking about the, radical, the racialized violence that was directed at African Americans following emancipation to reinforce racial hierarchy, to reinforce white supremacy. So here's the place in the, congr- in the sermon congregation, most of us being white, where we got to wrestle that one to the ground. We got to understand that, that that speaks to something in our hearts as well. And that may feel offensive to us, and it may feel uh, like we're being uh, unfairly lumped into those evil people, but everybody's heart is broken, and everybody's heart has a failure. And to reinforce that, look at what else Solomon says in verse 16. He says, the the place where there should have been justice, there was wickedness. But then he goes on to say, even, uh, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now, I will tell you right up front, I'm going to suggest something about this passage that I haven't been able to find any other writer or any other commentator uh, say that this is where the conclusion they came to. So I could be wrong about this, but but I don't think I am. So the place of justice is clearly the halls of justice. And most commentators just say, and when he says the place of righteousness, he's simply repeating that he's talking about the court system. But here's the problem with that. You can't find other places in the Old Testament where the, where the court is called a place of righteousness. It's called exclusively a place of justice. Where is the place of righteousness? Well, what is the fountain of righteousness? The fountain of righteousness is our relationship with God. And I believe what Solomon is talking about here is he's saying, I go to court and I see people being treated unfairly. And then I go to the temple where we worship and I see exactly the same thing. In other words, now he's talking to church folks. Now he's really talking to us. Are we willing to hear that message? Is Green Tree really a place for all peoples? Is it really a place where everyone who walks through our doors has a safe encounter with the Lord Jesus? And, and is experiencing love and compassion. And lest we think that, that I'm, I'm far-fetched here and I'm way off base, which I could be, it might be the halls of justice, but I don't see how it can be. Let's remember the words of our Lord Jesus when he went to the temple one day. 
And he looks around him and he sees the worship of God going on. He enters the temple and what did he do? He drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus was looking at the temple. He was seeing the sacrificial system being practiced, but he noticed that people who were foreigners had to change their money. And the exchange rate that they used at the temple was exorbitant and it cheated people. But what the, what the priest said is, if you don't change your money here, your coins are no good. In other words, you can't buy an animal for the sacrifice. You got to exchange your money with us. So there's the first bit of money in our pocket. And the second thing they said was, and by the way, you can't buy an animal from out there for sacrifice. You got to buy an animal from in here. And those prices are a little bit higher than everybody else's too. So twice we're going to make a little bit of money. We're going to oppress people financially. We're going to be unjust with people monetarily. I believe that what Solomon is saying is every place we look, even those places that ought to be safe places in our culture and our community are filled with wickedness, which could lead me to one of two conclusions. The first is, boy, those folks are awful. The second is, that's in my heart too. God, help me see my heart for what it is. The human condition, systematic injustice, but also, thirdly, an abuse of power. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I saw all the oppressions, and that all the oppressions, he's like, I looked, and man, there was a bunch uh, that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them, and the side of their oppressors was power. There was no one to comfort them. I've tried to put some language to this that it's common to us, have and have nots, influential, marginalized, weak. Uh, or strong, but the, but the notion here is, is one of socioeconomic dominance, that I'm, that I'm actually going to use the influence that I have and the wealth that I have in a way that creates more for me and takes advantage of those who are weaker. I was uh, driving down uh, South Lindbergh uh, on a Friday morning, and I, I'll, I'll confess I was headed to the cigar shop to have a cigar. Uh, and that's in Sunset Hills. And as I got fairly close to the intersection of Kirkwood Road, South Lindbergh, and Highway 44, I noticed that there were a couple of homeless folks that were standing there. And in the last year or so, there have been, there, there have been more folks gathering there, you know, with a sign, you know, could you help for a few bucks? And so I'm watching the light because, you know, we're going about 35, 40 miles an hour, and I'm wondering if it's going to turn red because I can't just stop if it doesn't. But I'm also reaching in my uh, ashtray to grab a couple of bucks. And as I'm doing that and I'm getting closer, I notice that right in front of me, there's a, this really cool looking big black truck. I think it was some kind of big Chevy truck. Now, I, I drive a little Passat because I like to be able to get in and out of traffic. My wife has a big Ford truck. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why you, we don't live in the country. We don't haul cattle around. Uh, but she loves having that truck, and that's great. So I appreciate them. So I'm noticing this truck in front of me. I'm like, that's a pretty cool truck. As that truck got to the intersection, it got within probably about 15 feet of the guy standing on this little tiny island with his sign. It swerves like it's going to hit him. And then it cuts back into traffic, and it, and it keeps going. And the guy literally jumped off, and thank God nobody was coming the other way or he would have been hit. And I got parallel with that truck, and they are having a great time. They are laughing and carrying on. And my first thought was, I can't say it because I can't. I'm in church this morning. <laughs> my first thought should have been, well, Tom, that could just as easily be you. What, what's going to keep you from being that kind of person? If, if the world is filled with, 
with wickedness, how do you use the power that you, do you really genuinely use your power for good all of the time, 100% of the time? Do you, are, are you suggesting to yourself that, that the, the wealth that you've accumulated in your lifetime is always used for pure motives? And, and you, this is why you should smoke a cigar because God really talks to you when, when you're smoking a cigar and you just saw something like that and you just want to be filled with self-righteousness. And God catches you up short and he says, you know what, brother, that you could have been behind that wheel lest you think that you do not need the grace of God. And so there's an abuse of power that is in the little things as well as the big things. And it would seem that Solomon has come to the end of himself and there's nothing that can be done because he says there's no one to comfort. There's no one strong enough to change the outcome here. Systematic injustice, uh, injustice, abuse of power, that's the human condition. And so Solomon reacts in verses two and three. He, He says this, it's better to be And then he speaks about what it's better to be. I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. So Solomon actually uses this teaching tool pretty regularly in the book of Proverbs, probably eight or 12 times in the book of Proverbs. Solomon will say, it's better to be this than that. And he's just comparing two things. And when you look at it, you go, yeah, that makes sense. So let me give you a couple of examples. One is in, uh, in chapter 12 where it says, it's better to be lowly or not have that much, but have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. So he said, it, it, it's much better to kind of take care of the small finances you have and be okay than, than you know, try to pretend you're somebody you're not and really hurt yourself financially. I think every sensible person would go, yeah, that makes sense. Better to be that than that. The second, the one at the bottom, I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, but it's in the Bible. It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Uh, I didn't run that verse by Cindy before I put it in the sermon this morning. But what, what uh, Solomon said there, it's better to be on the roof in a rainstorm huddled up in the corner than it is to live with someone who you have fight with all the time, who, where, there's, where there's strife. And you would say, yeah, I think I'd kind of rather stay in the rain than be in a fight with somebody all the time. You kind of look at those things, and I said, yeah, it makes sense. So Solomon says, I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But then he says this. He pauses it. I think he thinks about it. And then he says this, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Solomon says, It's better to be dead than to be living. And then he stops and he corrects himself. He says, no, that's not strong enough. It's better to not ever be born. Now, there are people at Green Tree who would love to have children and don't have children. Think about that kind of pain. And Solomon says, that child's actually better off. Solomon has come to the end of himself and the end of himself is despair. The end of himself is abject hopelessness. It's better to never be born in the first place. It's hopeless to look to humanity for the ultimate fix to these questions. The answer is not for us to try harder. The answer is not for us to, to dig down and get more serious about our efforts. There is no human answer ultimately to this question. That's why thousands of years before Solomon and thousands of years after Solomon were in the exact same place. Is there any hope? Well, my fifth observation in this text is to dig in a little bit more broadly in Scripture 
and look at the reality of the situation because I know when I, when I, when I have moments of despair, I don't have a whole lot of objectivity. And I need, I need other voices speaking into my life to help me see things a little more clearly. And I think this is where we can go outside of Ecclesiastes and look uh, for some help to answer this question. Should we just kind of sit down with Solomon in the dirt and say, you know, they're just, it's better not ever to be born. Well, I want to take us back for a moment to the Mosaic Law. And I want to remind us of the direction that we have been given. Now, this was given to the people of Israel, but it's given to everybody who's a follower of God. So every person that has faith in Jesus this morning, this is directed to us as well. The Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. There's, there's injustice and oppression right there. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner and get, that's, the, that's the, the, the alien who's coming in and giving him food and clothing. So how do we reactive. That's who God is. What are we supposed to do? Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Zechariah the prophet puts it this way. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. There's that, there's that that wickedness, that evil, devising it, thinking about it, and carrying out. In other words, all that to say, the reality of the situation is we have some direction here. We know what we ought to be about. Now, there's a lot of details that need to be worked out. How does, how does Green Tree go about being an agent for justice and against oppression? That's a good question that needs a lot of time and a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation. But there are ways that we can figure that out and we ought to be doing that. And hopefully in the next year, we will be doing that. We have direction. Secondly, we have a savior. Solomon was looking forward. He didn't yet know the name of Jesus. But when Jesus enters his earthly ministry and he's in his hometown, he's in Nazareth, he's in the, he's in the synagogue, he goes to church one Sunday morning, another way to say it, and they hand him a scroll, they hand him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he reads the following, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and set liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke goes on to say, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were upon him. Now, the way it used to work in the, in the good old days, the preacher got to sit down and everybody else had to stand up. So I'd like to try that some Sunday. I'm not going to do it this morning. <laughs> But I'm going to sit down, and y'all are going to gather around, and I'm going to, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to hand the scroll back, and then I'm going to talk as long as I feel comfortable talking sitting down, which is a whole lot longer. If you think it's a problem on Sundays while I'm standing up, you should see me when I'm sitting down. <clears throat> now, I've totally lost the relevance to this point. Everybody's looking at Jesus, and here's what Jesus says. Today, that prophecy is fulfilled in your sight. In other words, he says, hi, I'm God. It's nice to meet you. And don't worry, tell me your name. I already know it. What is God about? God's about mercy. God is about stamping out injustice. God is about destroying oppression. When Jesus speaks to the people in his hometown, this is how he chooses to introduce his messianic ministry. He doesn't yet talk to them about the grace they need. He doesn't yet point them to the cross. He starts out, he says, you want to know the heart of God? 
The heart of God is a heart of kindness. We have a direction and we have a savior. We also, we know, because we, we set it together, if you were in here at the beginning of the service, we have a task. Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, that needs some meat on the bones for our particular context for Kirkwood, Missouri, and, and West County, and St. Louis, and, and beyond into our region and into our nation that needs some thinking and some talking and some praying on our part. But that's a pretty straightforward statement, brothers and sisters. We can get our minds around that. We have some direction. We have a Savior. We have a task. And there will be justice. There will be justice. Now I'm going to take you back to Solomon, and I'm going to point you to the one moment in this passage when he acknowledges God. The rest of this time, he's, he, he's not bringing God in the equation, but here's where he does, verse 17. I said in my heart, in other words, I believe, I know for certain, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and every work. So last Sunday, we talked about God's sovereignty, his providence over time, and how everything happens in its right time. And Solomon said it, it might not be in this lifetime. And he's not talking about eternal life here. He's not going into deeper theological issues at this moment. He's just looking at this situation. And he's saying somebody somewhere is going to pay because this evil cannot stand. It violates the very nature of God. That's why we're celebrating communion this morning. Because your sins and my sins have violated our relationship with God. We have broken faith with him. And breaking that faith has resulted in injustice and in oppression and in greed and in lust and in gossip and a whole host of other things. But to the point this morning, we are the oppressor. We are the one who practices injustice. It might just be in our relationship within our own family. It might just be in the own four walls of our home, but it might be in our, our classroom. It might be in our business. I'm not... I'm not going to tell you where to look for that in your own heart because I'm busy looking at it in my own heart for me. And I guarantee you there are times in the, in the corridors of Green Tree Community Church where I practice injustice, where I can have an oppressive spirit towards others. And praise God that Solomon calls it out. Praise God that he shows us not only what's going on, but that there will be justice. And so I have two places to turn and only two options. I can turn to the cross of Jesus and seek his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, or I can lean on my own wisdom, my own understanding, and someday, apart from Christ, stand before God and try to account for the wickedness of my own heart. That's a pretty easy decision for me. Uh, not because I'm a smart guy, but because clearly I, I've begun to grasp the sin in my life, and I do not want to stand before God without a Savior, without one who has atoned for me. And so we come to this table this morning, brothers and sisters, uh, not just to go through the ritual of celebrating the Lord's Supper, not just because, you know, every four or five weeks, uh, it's, the, it's the thing that we do. That is true, uh, we do. But we come to this table this morning because there is no place else to turn. We certainly cannot turn inward and look to ourselves for the solution, but we can look to Jesus. And he bore God's wrath on the cross. He met the justice of God with his perfection. He stood in your place. He stood in my place. And when the wrath of God was poured out as it should be on sin, 
Jesus said, I'll take it. And I'm going to exchange my perfection for their imperfection so that they can be made righteous before you. So they really can honestly be the church and everything it was meant to be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise your name this morning. You are the one who sees everything in our hearts. You see the injustice that is there. You see the abuse of power that that we uh, live out in our lives. You don't just see it in our nation as a whole. You, You see it in our hearts and you still died for us. You still went to the cross for us. There's a time for judgment. And, and you took our judgment so that we could receive the mercy and the grace of God. And Lord, the, the one thing we, we ought to do coming out of that is simply live in that grace and live in that mercy. I'm not sure why it's so hard sometimes, but it is. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would be spiritually present in these elements. And we pray that you would nourish our souls to the end that we would be a people of justice, that we would be a people that want to see oppression eradicated. And we know we live in a fallen and broken world. We know we are not going to solve everything. But Father, make us people of grace. Grow it in our hearts and our minds as we celebrate our communion with you through the Lord Jesus this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they'd eaten, he took the cup and when he poured it, he passed it to his disciples. He shared it with his disciples and he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. All of you drink from it. Because as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to ask the servers if you would come forward. And while they're coming up, I'm going to give some instructions for the congregation. Uh, We're going to come to you this morning with the elements, so you can stay right where you are. Uh, We invite everyone who is a believer in Jesus to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is not Green Tree's table. This is the Lord. So if your faith is in him and in him alone as your Savior and as your Lord, we invite you to participate uh, in his celebration. If you're not a believer... We invite you just to let the elements go by, but we'd also encourage you to spend some time in prayer and asking that the Lord would show himself to you and that you would see and experience his grace and his mercy in order that you would put your faith in him. Let me also mention that if you need uh, gluten-free elements, they are kind of tucked under the napkin, uh, but they are there for you. And then finally, if you would uh, take the cup and take a piece of bread And then if you would hang on to that till everybody's been served, then I'll come back up and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together.